Listening to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. It is Ascension Day, and we get to chat about Ascension. What happens? Why do we celebrate Ascension? Where where do we find the the history of this in the text, and how do we go about observing that? We'll have that conversation in just a moment. Thanks to Concordia University Wisconsin for supporting the Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live uncommon. Joining us today for our conversation on the Feast of Ascension, the Reverend Dr. John Viker, Associate Professor of Practical Theology and Dean of Chapel at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. Dr. Viker, welcome back to the Coffee Hour. Always great to be here. We enjoy our conversations with you, and when it comes to worship, particularly worship and sacred music as Lutherans, you always provide some great insights for us. And today we are observing Ascension, the Feast of Ascension. Where does this history begin? It obviously begins in Scripture, right? Where? Tell us a little bit about the, the history of this feast, and, and then we'll work our way up to modern day. Sure, Andy. Thank you very much. Yeah, Ascension Day, you know, comes is always located 40 days after Easter because the scriptures tell us that that was the day that the Lord ascended, was 40 days after his resurrection. And, of course, that's always on a Thursday because he was raised from the dead on a Sunday. And if you count days, at least the way they count them in the Bible, that becomes, <laughs> that ends up always being on a Thursday. So now then the question is, when did they start celebrating Ascension Day per se, 40 days after Easter? Well, it has to do with how the church year developed. And I think sometimes we, we kind of think, have the impression that, you know, Jesus was raised from the dead and then the church started and they just left behind everything that they'd been doing and just kind of flipped on a switch and did something different. It's not the case at all. We see evidence of the earliest disciples, in fact, even in the Ascension text, worshiping in the temple. Our early, the earliest Christians were Jews, and they continued to worship like Jews in the synagogue and in the temple of the day. But something had radically changed on the 14th day of Nisan in AD 33, and that was the Lord had been crucified and three days later raised from the dead. That was the message. So they began to view everything that they did, the prayers that they prayed, the worship that they worshiped, the church year that they observed through the blood-stained lenses of the cross. And so <clears throat> there, was a, there was a bit of a disagreement in the early church about when you dated Easter. There were some who said Easter should always be on the 14th 17th, 14th, 15th, 16th day of Nisan, three days after the resurrection, after the crucifixion, no matter what day of the week it is. And then were others who said, no, it ought to always be on a Sunday because our Lord was raised on the first day of the week on a Sunday. Well, it shows just how the crucifixion and the resurrection come as one unit. You can't separate one out from the other. Eventually, the church did settle on Sunday. So today, Easter Sunday is a movable, is moves according to when the first day of spring is, and then 40 days of Easter follows after that. Now, it's quite a natural thing to celebrate the ascension when you start to think about, well, Easter determines where everything else falls. All the Sundays after Easter ascension, it also determines when Lent begins, when Ash Wednesday begins. So that's a bit of the brief history of ascension, and it has been celebrated in both the East and the West 
of the church since as far back as we can trace. Having a church feast day on a Thursday might be a, a bit of bit of an odd thing for us who are used to going to church on Sunday, but it's always, I mean, you can't get enough church. So a feast day on a Thursday is a perfectly cool thing for us to do. But why is this, why is it important for people to, to care about this, to to go and celebrate the Feast of, Aven- of Ascension on a Thursday at their churches? Well, it's, it's a major festival in the sense that, you know, we consider Easter to be really super important as Good Friday, for instance, the crucifixion, and then Easter, the day of the resurrection. All of that is important because it's about our Lord's suffering, dying, and being raised from the dead for our justification. So on, on Ascension Day, we begin to get into what that means, that he, was, that he ascended bodily into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father and rules over all things on behalf of his church. What does this mean? It's a great day to celebrate that. And is he actually gone? Has he left us behind here? Or is he still somehow present with us? Those are the questions that Ascension tries to answer. We often think that, think of his death and resurrection for us. Is his ascension for us? Do we think of it in those terms? You know, his his death was for us. His ascension was for us, for our benefit, for for us. What about his ascension? Is it just as much for us? Everything that Jesus does and continues to do is always for us. So yes, the answer to that question would be yes. Not in the sense that he has ascended to, you know, secure our salvation. That was accomplished at the Tetelestai of Good Friday. The resurrection from the dead is the certification that this is most certainly true and the proclamation to all the world that this guy, this crucified guy, has been raised from the dead and now lives and reigns eternally at the right hand of the Father and rules over all things for the sake of the church and still bears in his body the wounds of his crucifixion on our behalf for us. So was he, he ascended, yes, he ascended into heaven for us. And as he sits at the right hand of the Father, he intercedes for us, he prays for us, he's our big brother. And so that's a great strength of our Ascension worship. Now, you painted a nice picture for us earlier of how the first Christians gathered for worship, starting with talking about Easter and how they gathered for worship for that. How did we get to where we are today in terms of how we observe the Feast of Ascension? How has the church observed Ascension throughout history? I'd I'd be hard-pressed to give you how it has always been, how because it's, <laughs> it's varied widely, of course, from place sure. to place. But I can speak of how I, of my own experience in observing the ascension of our Lord. I don't recall doing that as a child. I don't recall. I grew up in California in the '60s and '70s. I don't recall having Ascension Day services, probably because it just wasn't the custom in that congregation and in many congregations, as it's not the custom today especially in smaller churches. Nevertheless, when I became a pastor, I, I instituted basically at the congregation I was serving the celebration of the Ascension, and I did it two ways. I, I wanted folks to come. And so I said, we're going to have an ice cream social afterwards, <laughs> and we're going to fill helium balloons for the kids to hold, and then we're all going to let them go at the same time and watch them fly off into heaven and stand there like 
the disciples did looking up into heaven and watching the balloons float away just as Jesus ascended bodily into heaven. I know those are kind of gimmicky things, but they gave me the opportunity to preach about the ascension. And, uh, and that began to build a tradition in that congregation, and they still celebrate the ascension on Thursday to this day. Why are ice cream socials such a thing after ascension? We do that too. And I think my previous church, I, I think it was an ice cream social. Also after, the, I don't know, it's, it's a, that's, yeah. it, I kind of associate ascension service with an ice cream social now. <laughs> well, you know, summer's around the corner most times when ascension is. And so I think people are in the mood to get into summertime. Yeah. Yeah. Here in North America. Now it might be a little colder for our friends mm. on the other side of the equator, right? That's, That's fair. Right. Not, so, not so hot in Australia. That's so much for an ice cream social. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so talking about how we observe ascension, what are some of the things that we might find in the ascension service? Well, usually it's just a basic divine service with Holy Communion. I think the Holy Communion piece is, is something that's worth really doing on Ascension Day because when our Lord ascended to the right hand, of the Father, with his body, by the way. He didn't leave it behind. So he's sitting up in heaven with the same kind of body that we have, human body, fully human, yet fully divine. He sits at the right hand of the Father, and he rules over all things and prays on our behalf. I think it's important not to forget that he has also made this promise, the last words that he spoke in Matthew, and surely I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. I mean, sometimes we think Jesus ascended into heaven and now his ministry on earth is done. No, 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 no. His ministry on earth continues through the proclamation of the word and the administration of the sacraments. And through those means, through his word and his sacraments, he is indeed truly among us, truly present. So when we go to the Lord's Supper on Ascension Day, we are, in fact, united with him through his body and blood, which we receive into our mouths to eat and drink for the forgiveness of our sins. A great time for the Lord's Supper. Now, other traditions in the divine service. The Paschal candle, which has been lit from the Easter vigil onward, usually and has usually been relocated up toward the altar. One tradition, the older tradition, is that when and when you get to the part of the reading where he ascended into heaven, then that paschal candle is extinguished to show that he is no longer bodily in the sense like, here I am sitting in my office bodily with us. But nevertheless, he is truly and truly present in his word and his sacrament, but just not in the same way as he was when he was walking around on earth. So that's a symbolic rite that's used. In other traditions, in a more recent tradition, the Paschal candle remains lit through Pentecost. And that's not observed. Well, that's one little thing that's done. I can't think of too many others. It's basically your divine service and you sing all of the readings and the hymns are focused on the ascension, resurrection and ascension of Jesus. Very good. And maybe we'll take a look at some of those in just a moment and maybe dig into a little bit deeper the idea that makes my head hurt. And I think Sarah's in the same boat, too, trying to comprehend this, this ascension of Jesus in his his fully human, fully divine body. We'll continue the conversation in just a moment right here on The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth.
At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live Uncommon. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We are talking all things Ascension today with Reverend Dr. John Veeker. He's Associate Professor of Practical Theology and Dean of Chapel at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. And it is Ascension. Today, the Church remembers and celebrates the Ascension of our Lord. And before, in the the previous segment, uh, Pastor, you had mentioned that Jesus ascended into heaven and is in heaven with his full body just like ours. And I'm not sure why, but in maybe it's an American thing or maybe it's just a human thing. Sometimes we, when we visualize Jesus in heaven, we forget that he has a human body. Why do we wrestle with that? Why, do we, why is that hard to comprehend? Jesus in heaven with a full human, full God, but, but full human body. Yeah, that's the great mystery of the Incarnation and also of, of his life in eternity. And it, there's a lot of ways you could go at this, but why, why do we struggle with this? Because we have this kind of philosophical construct in our mind that the finite is not capable of the infinite, you know? So we just figure that when he went up there to be part of the infinite, then he has to leave the finite behind his body. Or the other part of it is we could say, well, we can, in the Bible, it's clear that he took his body with him, but he certainly can't have his body down here and up there at the same time, which is why some parts of Christendom deny the presence of Christ's body in the sacrament. They just can't. This philosophical construct gets in their way. Nevertheless, it is true from Scripture. We confess what the Scriptures say, that he is truly here among us in his body and blood for us to eat and drink in, in the sacrament, giving out with his body and blood, the forgiveness of sins and life and salvation, the gifts of the sacrament. But his body in heaven, and that he has a body and that he rose bodily, is also, Paul speaks of it, <coughs> that he is the first fruits of them that sleep. So he was planted like a seed in the soil, and now he's been raised, raised from the dead, the first one to be raised. And so if he's the first fruits, it's like, you know, when you see those first apples coming on in late August, early September, you know there's going to be a whole season full of apple pies and apple butter to follow. So also in that cemetery, we are going to see on the last day, it's going to be a busy place, the resurrection of the dead. All of us will be raised, not with Casper the Friendly Ghost type of spirits or something. No, we will be raised with real bodies like Jesus's. And what those are going to look like exactly but we know they will be very real. I'm hoping that they'll, that mine will look like maybe 30-something, not quite <laughs> like what it is right now, but, or, or even better than that. We will be raised with real bodies. We know they'll be real because Jesus' body was real. I mean, he had to spend quite some time convincing his disciples, you know, hey, look, it's me. I, give me something to eat. I'll eat it. Touch me. You can see that I have a body, and a ghost would not have a body. Okay. So I think that's a great promise that he sits as one of us 
at the right hand of the Father, who, and he has suffered and experienced everything that we have experienced. So he knows how to intercede on our behalf when we pray through him to the Father. And also that he is us, the first fruits of the resurrection and, and thereby is a promise to us of how, what, of where we're headed and what, how we will be spending eternity with him. Yeah, Ascension is just so full of really deep theology that definitely makes my brain hurt if I think about it too long. But it's it's such important theology to so much of what we believe about, about the sacraments and, and just weaves through so much of what we believe. So I think it's really cool to actually sit and think about it for a little while and maybe make my brain hurt. But this theology is also in, in the readings, in the propers and the hymns that we get to experience on Ascension. But I want to do hymns first so we don't run out of time because the hymn for Ascension <laughs> Let's get right is down to the important part here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Is there a, a hymn that you'd like to talk, a hymn or two that you'd like to talk about for Ascension? I know a Lutheran service book 491 is the hymn of the day, but you can pick a different one if you want. I know there's a few to choose from. Well, there are. There are half a dozen or so, and they all, they all have great things to say about the Ascension. But I am going to go to 491 because that's one of my favorites for this day. And I, I love its unique in that Yaroslav Vida was a living poet, at least during our lifetime. He mm -hmm. passed away in, I think, 2007 or 2008, lived here in St. Louis. And his, the quality of his hymn writing is always very warm, almost always. I call it very Vida. <laughs> and you see this coming through in, in this hymn, and I'll point that out toward the end. But he, he speaks of the, res, of, the, of the ascension of our Lord up through endless ranks of angels, cries of triumph in his ears, to his heavenly throne ascending, having vanquished all their fears. Christ looks down upon his faithful, leaving them in happy tears. Then he gets to the resurrection. Death destroying, life restoring, proven equal to our need. Now for us before the Father, as our brother, intercede. Flesh that for our world was wounded, living for the wounded, lead. This gets back to just what I was saying about him being at the right hand of the Father as our brother in the flesh, interceding and pleading on our behalf. And then he gets into our condition. To our lives of want and wandering, send your spirit, promised guide. Through our lives of fear and failure, with your power and love abide. Welcome us as you were welcomed to an endless Eastertide. And here he's going to foreshadow into what his final stands will be, this very Vida, very warm, Trinitarian experience we will have when we go to heaven. Alleluia, alleluia, oh, to breathe the Spirit's grace. Alleluia, alleluia. Oh, to see the Father's face. Alleluia, alleluia. Oh, to feel the Son's embrace. I just love that last line. The body that was raised from the dead on the third day by the power of the Father and the Holy Spirit now sits at the right hand of the Father and will welcome each of us with an Eastertide hug, in effect, when we are finally brought to be with him forever. Wow. It's great when you take time to like dig into the hymn and then see, especially as you were pointing out, the 
incarnation, the, the, the incarnational theology that just taking a minute to, to dig into a hymn like that. So valuable. All right. We've talked hymns. Anything else on hymns that you want to, we have about five minutes left before we wrap up our conversation on Ascension. Any more hymns or do you want to take a look at any of the propers or anything else for Ascension? Well, I mean, we were kind of going at this backwards, but we, we, we should take a look at the reading in the Bible, don't you think? Sure. Uh, All right. Yeah, very so, good. But yes. And so then we'll see how, how the hymns unpacked what was going on in the reading. And this is my fault. So, you know, I think the key reading is in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through six through 11. And the disciples are, you know, he's been raised from the dead. He's been hanging out with them for 40 days, teaching them. And they ask him, Lord, will you, at this time, will you restore the kingdom to Israel? I mean, they're still, they're still looking for the, uh, you know, Superman kind of Messiah to some extent. Man, he was raised from the dead. Let's get going on the Romans here. And he says to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. I have another plan. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, pointing to Pentecost. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The centrifugal starting here in Jerusalem and then out to Judea and Samaria and finally all to the ends of the earth. This is your future. And when he had said these things, as he as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their out of their sight. So he ascended bodily into heaven. And while they were looking and gazing into heaven, two men stood beside them in white robes, the angels, and said to them, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. And here's the promise of our Lord's return, that he will come again as, as the judge of heaven and earth, and he will come in the clouds of glory. And we're waiting. Part of the ascension theme is, is waiting. Here we are waiting for our Lord's return. But it is a promise, and he has not broken any other promise that he has ever made to us. And so the church continues to wait for his return, where he will bring all things into completion, create a new heaven and a new earth, and raise the dead and give us new bodies to live with him forever. Anything else to point out in that reading? Or, or do you, is there another reading you want to highlight before we, before we end today? That's about it. Luke 24 is the gospel, but it, it kind of points in the same direction. It's Luke wrote both of these texts, and they are kind of interleaved, kind of intersect with each other in a very helpful way. What do these readings then teach us? What are kind of to put a bow on this to wrap it up? What are some what what do these readings teach us? What can we look forward to in our ascension services today? Well, to summarize, what goes up must come down. <laughs> Christ ascended into heaven bodily. He sits at the right hand of the Father, intercedes on our behalf, and he comes, he promises to be with us always through his word and his sacraments and to feed us with his body and his blood. But he also promises to come again on the last day and, and to recreate the heavens and the earth and the home of righteousness. Amen. Amen. 
Our guest today, the Reverend Dr. John Viker, Associate Professor of Practical Theology and Dean of Chapel at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. Dr. Viker, thanks for digging into this great topic of Ascension today. Thank you, and blessings on your Ascension Day. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Come on, come on.